In an increasingly demanding world, we've been told that we can do everything. Maintain friendships, devote ourselves to work, spend time with family, stay fit, and get enough sleep. We just need to learn to balance it all. Best-selling author, radio host, and CEO of Zuckerberg Media, Randy Zuckerberg, doesn't believe in being well-balanced. We can't do it all every day, but we can succeed if we pick three. Randy first introduced the concept of pick three in a tweet, The Entrepreneur's Dilemma, that went viral and has doubled down on that premise in her newest book, Pick Three. At a recent Ivy Ideas Night in New York City, Emmy Award-winning anchor of Nightline, Juju Chang, sat down with Randy to discuss the ways to live a life that Randy does not call well-balanced, but well-lopsided. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor-distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor-distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smartwater or Smartwater Sparkling today and at your local retailer. If you're here, you're highly interested and highly motivated and probably have done three of these five <laughs> things today. Um, but I want to just kick off Probably the conversation. Six. Probably six. You guys are overachievers, I can tell. But I want to start off the conversation with the, with the genesis of this idea, yes. which I know in, you say in the book, crystallized when you were speaking at a panel like this. Totally. So I was about 10 months pregnant. And like the one rule of being really pregnant is they tell you don't make any big life decisions. Right. Like you're not in the frame of mind. So naturally, I quit my job, started my own company, bought a house. Like I basically sure. did everything, <laughs> which was maybe looking back on it, not the wisest life move <laughs> to do. Um, and it just put me in this position where I just, I felt I was excited and thrilled, but really overwhelmed at the same time. And I was on this panel where they were asking me, you know, how do you balance it all? How do you do it all? Yeah, how do you do it all? It, it, like, not to get on a feminist soapbox, but they like skipped over the four men on the panel and then right, they were right. like, Randy, how do you balance it all? Um, and I was like, wow, I guess I must look from the outside like I'm doing a decent job of balancing it, but I'm not. I'm like falling apart on the inside. So I went home and I tweeted out this, um, I called it the entrepreneur's dilemma, work, sleep, family, friends, fitness, pick three. Because I, for me, I felt like I was really struggling to prioritize and to be able to pick everything in my life. And it seemed it really resonated with people. Over time, I realized it didn't just apply to entrepreneurs. So I just changed it to pick three. And so this book is a bit of a life hack, you know, sort of to help us. There's even a workbook at the end. Yes. Figure out how to prioritize and value. But let's start with defining our terms. Because, yes. you know, you say friends, but you define that friend category in a slightly broad way. That's right. I tried to make all the categories very broad because they're, you know, we all have different priorities in our life. And just because those are my five main buckets doesn't mean that's true for everyone. But friends, for example, is kind of a, a catch-all for anything that's fun. Hobbies, passions, things so that bring joy. So this is a friends night, I think. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> like drinking wine. Right, right. The family could be a family you were born into. It could be a religious and spiritual community. It could be your urban family that you choose. So a lot of these categories are purposely very loose. How many of you guys went to the gym today? How many of you feel guilty Probably. for not getting to the gym today? 
<laughs> so that is the part of what you were talking about, right? Is to lose, lose some of that like, guilt, right? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> exactly. I think we all have so much guilt. We live in this world, too, where you open up social media and everyone's lives look incredibly perfect. Right. And we forget that they're just curating the highlight reel of their lives. I, I think especially when I talk to parents, especially, they feel this incredible guilt about navigating a career and children at the same time. That's something that I have done by personal experience and really wanted to write about. Right. You are a high-grade overachiever, and you have been for quite some time. Let's talk a little bit, because I think this room can really relate to sort of how hard you worked just before going into college. I didn't realize you were a caddy, you were oh, a yes. tutor, you did all sorts of things. Everything. Gosh, I, I can't even remember a time in my life when I didn't work. My dad is, he just retired as a dentist, but his office was in the ground floor of our house and non sequitur, but like we were that house that handed out toothbrushes on Halloween. <laughs> like that's so embarrassing. Like ruined my childhood. That's okay, sorry. Not that was a total non sequitur, but I just feel like anyone but we who's trick or treated can like, like that tidbit. I was like, please, Dad, just kill all the lights on the house. Yeah. Like I, that would but be. But she more also bearable. shared backstage that her. Maternal grandfather, right? Yeah. Was a police officer. Yeah, my, uh, my grandfather was was a police chief here in New York City. But, but you yeah. talked in that experience getting to Harvard. I'm sorry you couldn't get into a good school. Um, <laughs> that you had this lopsided view that it wasn't yes. just about achieving balance. It was totally. about what does that mean to you? The lopsided existence. Well, my whole time when I was in school. And I went to Horace Mann right here in the city. And it, All right, I hear some Horace Mann people in the corner. Any Horace Mann people? Yeah, yeah. Woo, Horace Mann. But I, I think one of the things that I always struggled with is I loved theater and the arts so much. And yeah, theater. Um, and uh, so I wanted to basically only do theater. And they were like, if you want to get into college, that's not a good strategy. You have to be like well-balanced. And then I went to this session at, for admissions at Harvard, and they said, we look for two kinds of people, well-balanced and well-lopsided. And this kind of light bulb went off in my head because I was like, wow, all anyone talks about in life is work-life balance. No one talks about work-life lopsided. And I don't know about you guys, but when I think about the things in my career, when I look back, the things, you know, the three things that I would tell my great-grandchildren I'm proud of, those things did not happen when I was well-balanced. Right, they all happened when I was work-life lopsided or gave myself permission to focus on a project or a goal or a passion or something in my life, and that was the moment it crystallized. You say that when you launched Facebook Live, yeah. you had uh, a couple weeks before giving birth to your first child, yes. and you pulled three all-nighters in a row. I know. What were you prepping for? Not a good strategy, but that's okay. <laughs> we. Um, so first of all, I launched, I created Facebook Live in this hackathon that we did in the company where all night long people kind of stay up and work on dream projects, and I was in this little closet filming, and I called it Facebook Live with Randy Zuckerberg. Two people watched, my mom and dad. That was <laughs> it, like a huge failure. And then fast forward four months later, President Obama came to Facebook to do a town hall on Facebook Live to after all of America. After you convinced, after Katy Perry came on yes. and did, launched her album on Facebook exactly. Live, Exactly, right? so it was just this whole thing. I kind of gave up. I left in the middle of the hackathon. I didn't even think, you know, this is what a bad idea. Clearly only my mom watched. And, <laughs> and then a few weeks later, Katy Perry's team called and said, we want to use your 
Facebook television show to launch her world tour. And from there, it was just, it spiraled into this, this thing. There was also a moment when you were pregnant with baby number two, and you had the other big dilemma in your life, which was star on Broadway. <laughs> what do you think? Well, <laughs> what happened? Okay, that was, that was a very random experience. I was sort of at this moment, I'd been in Silicon Valley for 10 years, you know, just working around the clock. And um, I had shelved really theater and arts and everything that I loved so much in my life so I could be kind of all in. I don't know, Oprah has this famous, well, everything Oprah says is awesome, but she has this <laughs> one thing where she's like, if you try to silence something that you love, it's gonna like start as a whisper and then get louder and louder and louder. And that's what had been happening with theater and the arts in my life. It was like now this loud roar and all of a sudden out of nowhere, I, I don't, I mean, I really still to this day pinch myself. I got a call from producer of the Broadway musical Rock of Ages saying, we're looking for a, a tech personality to star in our show, like a new kind of a guest star. Do you want to come sing on Broadway? I thought I was getting punked. Like I thought Ashton Kutcher was going to jump out <laughs> and be like, punked. And it was exactly the thing that I needed in my life at that moment. I exactly needed to spend time doing something totally different out of Silicon Valley, walking a mile in someone else's shoes. And that was, I think, like one of the, the greatest gifts that I was given in my life. And you said in many ways that was a catalyst to a whole new you in yeah. many ways. It remind. I mean, first of all, it forced me to be completely lopsided. I had to, uh, I moved to New York by myself. My husband and our two-year-old at the time were in California still. And you were now pregnant with baby number two. I was now pregnant two. with baby number two, yeah. um, which when they called me to ask if I wanted to do the part, they're like, how about starting in a few months? I was like, how about Monday? Right. I'll start on Monday. <laughs> I had eight rehearsals to learn the whole show. And when you're, when you're in an experience, when you're thrown into experience that's so far out of your comfort zone like that, your only choice is to go all in. And it just, it reminded me how exciting it is in life to like really be that lopsided in something new. It's what people say about when you try something scary is when yeah. you break through. And yet now, three years later, your family has moved that's right. to New York. You're enmeshed in theater. You're producing. Tell, tell us what, we're, what you're up yeah. to in the world of theater. My husband came, I remember he came to move me back to California. We were in this taxi and like, John Legend, all of, all, all of me was playing, and I was like just bawling, like just bawling tears. And he's like, okay, so obviously we're moving to New York. Like, and now to this day, I still cry every time I hear that song. That's amazing. Um, but we moved here, and I, what I realized was that I was in this unique position that I had experienced as an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman, and now also as a performer and that there was a really a cool world where I could combine my love of the two and really do some theater in exciting new ways, invest in tech companies that are trying to disrupt the theater industry and, and serve on the board of some organizations. So I, it's, it has brought theater ragingly back into my life in a wonderful way. It's incredible. <laughs> it's really incredible. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And yet, in addition to that, you, in your spare time, clearly, you wrote this best-selling book, not your first. And so tell us about when you work through, I mean, you, there are a lot of terms. I mean, one of the things that I wrote was that fitness, I was joking about going to the gym or not going to the gym, but there's a broader definition for fitness, too, yes. in your book. That's right. Uh, really, anything that applies to your health. So, and I think, you know... Self-care, Yes, as you say. especially given that 
current events over the last few weeks with Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, I think it's more important than ever before for entrepreneurs to think about our mental health as well in that bucket. And I recently on my radio show was speaking to some entrepreneurs. I learned that about 47% of entrepreneurs have suffered depression at some point during the process. And it's it's a it's a roller coaster ride to right. be an entrepreneur. So because uh, if you think of all the risk right. taking, the stress, the fear, uh, the doubt. Exactly. You know, you're you're raising money. You don't know what to do. You're missing payroll. You you know you're making decisions that you feel completely unqualified to make, but yet it's exhilarating at the same time. Um, and it can be a very uh, a lonely, exciting and lonely ride at the same time. And so you, you, when I say it's a workbook, it really is. You go through, well, define these other terms of passionistas, for example, yes. where you interviewed one of my friends, Melinda Ahrens, who's, amazing. who's a work passionista. Yes. What is a passionista in these categories? Yeah. What is a eliminator? <laughs> what is a superhero, a renovator? and a monetizer in yes. these different categories. Um, as I was kind of coming up with the categories, one of the things that was really, um, that I started thinking about a lot was that not everyone gets to choose their three categories. And that was something that I felt like my original kind of entrepreneur's dilemma came from a place of assuming that we all get to choose. We have these categories laid out in front of us, but some of us find ourselves in just bad situations in life. Sometimes someone gets sick or there's death in the family or a career that you thought would be a sure bet isn't a sure bet. And so I started like really refining and trying to look into different types of people and how they prioritize in different ways. Some people are, you know, I call them passionistas. You are the one who's able to choose. You have the, you know, the wind at your back and you can choose. Other people who um, are superheroes, that I called, are becoming lopsided in an area because of someone they love. Maybe you have a child who's really passionate in one area. That's going to become something you pick. And so I, I tried to make it identifiable to, to anyone out there. That's great. And then you ask people to really sit through and think about what it is in a given day yeah. that you're choosing. And so how do you go about picking your three? I try to do it the night before because I know realistically for me, my alarm's gonna go off, my alarm is my phone, so I'm gonna get immediately drawn into everything even though I say in the book, don't do that. Right, so right. Um, I know that one of my kids is gonna cry or need me, so there's not really that self-reflection time in the morning. But So I really try the night before to think, okay, how, how can I be intentional about my priorities tomorrow? What, what three things do I wanna pick? knowing that life happens and the best laid plans get thrown for a loop. But I think if we can just make a practice of being a little more mindful about how we prioritize our time and planning in advance, we set ourselves up for success. And I also think so much of what you talk about is to mitigate guilt. Yes. Is to feel like I can't do all of it. Totally. I can't do all five. There just aren't the number of you know, hours in the day to yes. do that. I don't know, how have you, I'm curious how you've dealt with it, because you, you have an amazing career, I three children. I, I, like, I talk about, <laughs> that's very nice of you, but I talk about how I juggle it every day. Like, it's uh, a different calculation every single day, and it depends on who, which child needs you more, which yeah. producer needs you more at school, which story, you know. And so I feel like priorities present themselves totally. to you. But I do think that it is a matter of not wanting to end up feeling guilty about yes. it. Yes. Right? One of the things that I, really struck me as I was writing the book that I don't know if you've experienced this in your life or probably many of us have is 
When I would interview women or talk to them, women who were really into their career but also wanted a family, they would kind of lean in, almost hushed like they were admitting a big secret to me that they liked their career. That always struck me because I was like, why should we feel scared or guilty to admit that we love our career? Right. Like, I, I don't know, I invested a lot of time in my education, in my career, like many decades. Why can't I shout to the world that I love it and that I want to prioritize it? Why do I have to be, you know, why is it so taboo to, you know, love anything as much as you love spending time with your family. But one of the things, you are continuing to work in the tech world as well. You're opening tech cafes around the country. Tell us yes. about that. Well, one of the, uh, the big things that really struck me about my time in Silicon Valley, I loved working there. It's, uh, it's like you, innovation is in the air. Um, but I grew pretty tired of being the only woman in every room that I was in. Like, I'm still convinced to this day that most of the meetings I got were because someone would get an email from Randy and think it was a dude. <laughs> and then, like, I'd walk in, they'd be like, where's Randy? And I'm like, sucker. <laughs> um, so, which is both funny and, like, horrifyingly sad. Have you thought sad, much but, about how the sexism in Silicon Valley yeah. might be disrupted? Yes, so that, so as I was thinking through ways to do that, all my research really led me to young kids and girls. It's about eight and nine years old that we start to lose, um, that we start to lose girls in technology. So I decided, my team and I had this kind of blue sky brainstorm. How could we get more girls, more underrepresented communities into tech? And we thought, what if we made it super fun and exciting and involved dessert? So we <laughs> opened up, exactly, like every kid loves that. So we opened up these tech dessert cafes across the country, starting in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Jackson, Mississippi. You can come and you can get a 3D printed s'more, which is you get to draw something and then it printed on a graham cracker. Robots make you pancakes, like all kinds of wild things. And what we've seen in these communities is for many children and families, this is a first entree to be able to talk to people about AI, robotics, all kind of things like That's that. That's amazing. Uh -huh. And so you're able to sort of pick and choose even from a career perspective, mm -hmm. a la carte off the menu as opposed to trying to do it all at the same time. That's right. So for me, it's being an entrepreneur. I think being an entrepreneur, you're the only crazy person where you'll like quit a nine to five job to work like a thousand hours a yeah, week. Exactly. But, um, I, and how, I, let's, let's talk about sleep because that's a big one. How, yeah. what's your rule of thumb on sleep and what, what advice would you give people? Because oh, gosh. I know I'm sleep deprived. I love sleep deprived. I know you're taught. I'm like, I just flew in on a red eye from California. So you're talking to the wrong person. Right, but, right. but in researching the book, that was very eye-opening to me how important sleep is. Um, the day after daylight savings in the fall where we gain an extra hour of sleep, the rate of heart attacks in this country drops. Incredible. Even just one hour of sleep combined. You know, you see things like with, with children, like I see with my three-year-old what happens when, when a human being is overtired. Like I see it in front of my eyes and yet we still, as adults, don't take care of ourselves that way. And you way. talked to Ariana Huffington, who launched a whole campaign I based did. on maximizing sleep and how I important mean, that is. She's, she's amazing. She, you know, after her whole career with Huffington Post and everything she was doing in politics, she collapsed um, and had this, I mean, a true wake-up call in the hospital uh, of exhaustion and 
has changed her whole tune now to educate businesses on the importance of sleep and, and, and mental health. And that's, it's, that was very inspiring for me. But I also interviewed a surgeon who does organ transplant surgery on children. And I talked to him because, I mean, if his pager goes off in the middle of the night, he is going to get up. He's right. not going to be like, sorry, I'm sleeping. Right, right, right. I think a lot of us act like our careers are life or death, but like his is actually life <laughs> and death. Right. So I talked to him about what he does. You know, how do you operate at a high level on sleep deprivation? What are, are some of his tips for getting through that? And that was a pretty eye-opening interview That's also. cool. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smart Water or Smart Water Sparkling today and at your local retailer.